Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show, George. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I would love to start with a little bit about you and uh, how you ended up in this crazy crypto world. Uh, I think you have a fascinating story and a fascinating journey. And so maybe just tell a little bit to the listeners or the viewers um, about you and how you got into crypto. Absolutely. Well, pleasure to be here, Logan. Um, yeah, look, I've been in crypto for about 12 years now. Uh, so I've been on this total clown world roller coaster for quite a while uh, and seen a lot of stuff along the way. I was one of the uh, first Bitcoin miners. I uh, used to build miners at front by buying GPUs off eBay uh, as a student and um, making them mine some Bitcoin to earn some money. I thought that was yep. pretty cool. And I didn't know anything about finance. I was just like, hey, this is a, a heater which makes money. That's pretty badass, right? Um, so I got started there in, in 2011 and through that really sort of taught myself about what money is, um, why money is important, uh, just as a philosophical sort of concept as well. Like um, a lot of people care about a lot of stuff in the world, right? They care about their kids' education or their job or, you know, the health or whatever. All of that relies on money. Um, but often people don't ask where the money comes from, how it comes into existence, where does it go? Um, you know, what's it used for? So I guess, you know, that sort of started me down uh, on that journey sort of when uh, when Bitcoin came around and and back then, you know, it was quite a different world. There was one exchange in the world, uh, Mt. Gox, people might know, um, also did an FTX back in the day, but they had about 80% uh, market share and uh, there was only really one website that spoke about crypto and that was the Bitcoin forums, just a bunch of nerds, probably a couple of hundred from around the world. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so sort I of got started there, um, first with the FPGA miners and, and then later ASIC, uh, miners as well. And, uh, in 2014, I got together with a friend of mine and, and we went to Hong Kong to start the first crypto remittance company. Uh, so, uh, you know, from that, there's a lot of, a lot of learnings along that way as well over the next six years, um, using crypto to send money around the world, cash in, cash out, all these different places. And, uh, and then really sort of when that journey came to an end, it was uh, sort of time for me to take a step back and see what the most important things in crypto are. So we're talking like 2020 and uh, actually a little bit before then, maybe 2019, I got into uh, interested in what happens with DeFi. Um, so decentralized finance, trying to make a financial system that's trustless and, you know, has all of the properties that, uh, that we know and love. So really that sort of got me into the, um, the sort of, I guess, smart contract kind of chains. I had a little bit of dabbling uh, before there as well, of course, uh, you know, stable coins and all this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, in 2021, Solana was just taking off. Uh, me and a buddy got together and we entered a hackathon and uh, we started Step Finance. And uh, yeah, you know, that's where we are today. can talk a little bit about that later. But uh, really, it's sort of, I think it's been a journey of, you got to start with the important elements of the philosophy about why crypto is important. Once you have that, then mm -hmm. whatever market happens, whatever happens, you're all going to be good. Because I think a lot of people kind of get into things for the wrong reason. It's like, hey, I want to make a million dollars tomorrow. Um, but actually, if you think that private money for the world is an important thing, then you're going to be sticking around through all sorts of different cycles and tragedies and explosions and whatever else. No, I, I think that's a perfect start to the conversation, uh, especially your rich background and being so early into this space, maybe 
starting with how has, and going back to kind of the ethos of blockchain and crypto more broadly, what got you, I mean, obviously kind of having that space heater that made money was exciting at the time, but going forward, what kept you in crypto for such a long time? And now, how do you think that is changing? And going forward, what do you think needs to happen to continue to bring more, I'd say, users or builders into the ecosystem more broadly? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it starts with going back to basics as well. Um, you know, I mentioned before private money for the world. That's what sort of got me into it. And I, I think that's one of the guiding principles that you know, a lot of people, I think back in the day, they started maybe from the Austrian economics, like gold and silver, you know, people, um, they really liked Bitcoin back in the day. And it's like, hey, why do we need a government to create money? And and there's just like some guys yeah. who sit around a table every so often and they just decide like what the money's worth um, and all those sorts of, why can't I do that? Like, can I set up a bank in my garage? Oh, no, I can't. Oh, the last bank that got issued a license was like 100 years ago in many countries. Um, so... You know, I, I think starting from from that basis, you know, money's not getting better anywhere else in the world. There's like 190 different currencies in the world. All of them suck and all of them are getting worse. Like it, it's not as if, um, you know, the the Myanmar chat is getting any better. It's not, um, you know, is the Quacha getting better? No, it's not. Um, you know, is is all of these different currencies like they they're kind of um, they're, they're very geographically limited. Often that geography has a lot of problems. Often people can't get access. They can't do a bunch of stuff that sort of holds back development for humans as a species. So I think getting back to basics about why crypto matters and why it's important is because the world needs a sort of neutral form of being able to transfer value and being able to measure value as well. Uh, I think that's super important. So, so really, I think that's what sort of got me into it and maybe sort of what's required or, or what's, what do we have to do in the future to onboard more people? I think it's really just about being able to talk, talk about that um, and being able to introduce people. I think stable coins have done a lot in that, in that respect. Like there's so many countries around the world. Um, I bought a house in stable coins. I furnished it in stable coins as well. Um, like a lot of people have been introduced to the crypto world just via that, you know, a lot of people, they're maybe not interested in speculating on this coin or that coin, but they're like, Hey, I just want us dollars that the bank's not going to shut down and blow up tomorrow. And in many places that's super important. So I think like having more people build cool stuff that leverages some of these different, um, you know, concepts about you having ownership of your money and you being able to do whatever you want. That's probably the important part. So start with stable coins, then maybe go to something like loans, um, you know, lending and that sort of stuff, um, being able to introduce people to those concepts. And then, yeah, we go from there, maybe DEXs and, and whatever else. But yeah, I think it kind of starts with just introducing people to the basics about why it matters. I think you're the first person that I've talked with that has bought a house in stable coins, which is super impressive. Ultimately, do you think yeah, um, going back to the basics for blockchain more broadly kind of manifests itself in Bitcoin? Um, or do you think it is more um, stablecoin denominated uh, going forward for like a global finance? Yeah, 
I mean, look, the, the Bitcoin people, they've kind of lost their way, in, in my opinion, many, many years ago. Um, they, they say the same stuff today as they did six years ago. And not doing something is apparently a, a form of virtue in the Bitcoin world. It's like, well, what's Bitcoin innovated on? Oh, we don't need to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you think that's yeah. a viable strategy long term? Um, so, but I, I think the sort of general concept that Bitcoin had is like a store of value. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's cool. You know, I think there's other stores of value out there and, and there's, there's plenty of different forms that could, could meet that criteria, not just Bitcoin. Um, I think stable coins are probably the way to introducing a lot of people, um, you know, the, the mass market sort of appeal, uh, but really sort of decentralized finance is kind of, you know, yes, we need a decentralized gold perhaps, or we need a, a version of a, a store of value. And maybe that's Bitcoin, maybe that's some other coin, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Um, but you know, what's even more important than like just having an asset that is like some sort of stable form of value. It's also having a financial system. And the financial system's like a thousand X larger in terms of market value and, and productivity than, you know, a, a shiny lump of metal. So, you know, yep. I think DeFi is, is super important there, right? That's essentially trying to create a financial ecosystem. It's trying to create all of this stuff, um, which exists, you know, in the, in the TradFi world or TardFi, like I like to call it. Um, and, uh, yeah, trying to, to decentralize a lot of that, right. And, and trying to reduce the risk and reduce the middleman and people use the word decentralized, but like they use it a lot, but they don't really sort of think what it actually means. And, and really it's about like having self custody. So the more that we can do with that, the better. And I think that's, that's probably the way that, that we need to go is like, um, thinking about a financial system itself and putting that on a blockchain. Definitely having private key management and being able to own your assets, I think is extremely important in, in the ethos of web three more broadly going back into some of your history with, um, what you've done in the past, you were heavily involved in DeFi. What do you feel like today is lacking in the DeFi system to or that needs to be built or kind of reimagined to get back to products that are actually usable for the everyday person to get back to the basics? Oh, that's a really good sort of question. And I, I actually think about that myself when I'm drifting off to sleep at night, I'm like, Hmm, what do we actually need? I think, uh, I think we, we talk, talked about stable coins, we talked about lending, you know, we've seen a lot of AMMs and a lot of, um, you know, lending DEXs and that sort of thing. I, I don't know if just more of them is the future. In fact, I, I don't think it is. I think it's something else, but it's not a, it's not like a, you know, a financial product, you know, that DeFi world gets very complicated very quickly, right? You often get these financial people that come in and they're like, I'm going to make composable options, traded straddle puts on a perp dex, blah. Nobody knows what that is, bro. Like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so like, I, I think we don't need more of that. Um, we, we probably do need, um, more sort of, I guess, high speed interactions in, uh, in, in DeFi. So uh, I think, you know, order book dexes, FTX is a great example of that. You know, why do people use a centralized exchange often? Cause it's quick and easy. Right. And, uh, and they understand it. Right. But, and often a lot of blockchains are not quick enough to actually support a full, you know, central limit order book. 
exchange and, and, and DEX. Um, Solana is one of the few which can. Uh, there's a few L2s which try and do that, but you know we can talk about that as well. I think liquidity being siloed in an L2 is kind of dumb. Um, so you know, I, I think something like that's probably where you have to start. But then after that, uh, it's really about, I think P2P is another thing. So you've got to solve the fiat problem. The fiat problem is how do we get people in and out of this crypto ecosystem without having to deal with these gatekeepers? Because that's what exchanges are. Uh, you know, they're, they're the ones with bank accounts and the bank accounts are the portal in and out of the crypto land. So how do we, how are we able now local Bitcoin started that many years ago? Hey, you go meet a guy at a train station by the side of the road or the street or whatever. And then you, you trade him some coin and you give him some cash. I think that's great. I, I think there's better ways to do it though. I, I think that it's the whole of local Bitcoins or Paxable could be a smart contract. So like you could just have an on-chain contract, which holds money in escrow that two people meet IRL or via some online payment method. And they're able to pay each other, whether it's Venmo in the U S or, you know, whatever it might be, mobile money in Africa, they're able to pay each other with complete security that the money's going to arrive at the other end because it's held in escrow by the contract. Both parties need to approve. I think that doesn't really exist yet. Um, but when it does, I think that'll be sort of a, a, a big sort of, um, you know, innovation boom perhaps is, is that's maybe a, an on and off ramp for a lot of people that isn't geographically limited, um, which would be awesome. Yeah. The on and on off and on ramps are definitely kind of the highest touch points. I would love to reverse it to have kind of self custody and like independent wallets be the highest touch points instead of uh, exchanges. And I do agree. I think ultimately those will flip. It will just take some time. How, um, so I, I guess maybe backing up a little bit, you had a lot of experience. Uh, you've seen kind of these boom and bust cycles numerous times now, and you started uh, and been integral to many uh, crypto companies and seen kind of the life cycles of those. How has though that learning of being involved in crypto over time, how, how has the learnings of leading companies kind of evolved your thoughts on, I would say, the, the crypto landscape and how you now approach uh, building a company with Step Finance? Yeah, I think if you're building something in Web3, it's so much easier and better uh, than, than going down the traditional route. So, you know, you might not even need a company incorporation. Like, what is a company incorporation? It's a piece of paper with a stamp on it and a logo of some country, right? And you, a lot of people say that they need that to, to do X or Y, but if you're in Web3 and you're existing in Web3 and all of your customers are in Web3 and they're paying you in the, in crypto and, and you're paying yourself in crypto and all this sort of stuff, you don't actually need that piece of paper. And maybe maybe a form of a DAO is some other sort of way to coordinate people. Um, so I, I think those sorts of things are super, um, like removing a lot of restrictions from builders who want to en enter the space, right? So I, I think that's one thing I've noticed is um, this time around building, um, you know, step in, in the web three world, we don't have a company incorporation. Everyone's paid in crypto. Um, th that's just so much better. There's no back and forth with, 
just annoying admin work, which detracts from the ability to actually go and execute and build something. Um, fundamentally better in, in every level. So I think once builders also realize that, uh, maybe that will, will sort of introduce more people to the ecosystem. But that's one certain sort of major thing I've noticed. Um, I guess another thing is um, the, the interconnectedness of a lot of the products built in a Web3 world is way more than if you were just building an exchange. Like if you're building an exchange, you're kind of like your own island. You're like, you know, Rambo out there. You're like, hey, everyone come use my product. And I don't know anything about what anyone else is doing, but, uh, you know, come use mine. That's essentially the sort of Web 2 path. Whereas Web 3, it's like, hey, um, we're going to use this composable asset from someone else in the ecosystem. And then that earns a yield and that's given by them. But then you can use it in our platform to do other stuff and, and all sorts of stuff. So there's like way more connectedness. And I think that also helps bring about, um, you know, uh, a scale a lot quicker. You know, that's one thing that Solana did in 2021 is it went from nothing to something. It went from, you know, a blockchain, which, hey, there's thousands of blockchains out there. Uh, but it went from like two apps to like 100, 200 apps very quickly. And you need that, that scale and that ecosystem to exist before you can really sort of take the training wheels off and, and know that, you know, this is something that's probably going to last. So... Yeah, I think uh, Web3 does a lot for that and, and, and builders that sort of are getting into it, like it, it's just fundamentally better way to, to be building stuff today than it was like five years ago. And I, I like I speak to some of my friends who are like exchange operators and stuff still, and they're kind of depressed, to be honest. Like they're kind of like, man, I have to deal with all of this nonsense. And I remember one guy I had dinner with him recently and he was saying he can't tweet anything because some regulators looking over his shoulder and can't post anything on LinkedIn and has to go through some other person and just all of this nonsense stuff, um, which is just not useful in any way. Um, so yeah, you know, none of that in, in web three land, which is awesome to see. So I guess on that point and being kind of, I guess you guys are one extreme to like the fully decentralized, like not being incorporated and paying out in full stable coins, uh, being geographically dispersed. What is your point of view on the regulation side? Uh, do you think it's ultimately going to be helpful for the industry or would you rather kind of take the hands-off approach? Because I think, I mean, there's multiple arguments for either side, especially kind of in the wake of current events? Look, the best regulation is no regulation, and it's also a waste of time. We saw that with FTX. FTX was a regulated company. They had licenses all over the world, US, Japan, Middle East, Europe. Oh, and they blew up and laundered and stole $10 billion of people's money. Did the regulators help? Not really. Um, you know, th th there's lots of instances of this, and I, I think you know, regulation is also a topic which doesn't have an answer. Everyone has an opinion. And, you know, we often see discussion in the crypto world of everyone just having their opinions and just talking to each other. But, you know, I can tell you that one plus one is two, but I can't, and that's an answer. That's like unequivocal and, and we can prove it and verify it. But with regulation, it's just all on opinions. Even when you talk to lawyers, lawyers often don't know, like they're literally paid to give you an opinion based on like the words, which often either some politicians said once at a conference, um, 
some edict which some regulator said which isn't quite a law but it's like a guidance note which is what's a guidance note it's like you know someone giving a speech somewhere at some dinner and they said that oh we really like uh crypto and or we don't like crypto and you know everyone has to play by the rules blah blah, blah. cool so it, it's just sort of guessing it, it's not the same as one plus one is two so on that front, it's kind of like, it, it's not something that's easily bankable on. Now I, I can see the perspectives from, you know, people that, that want regulation or, or whatever, right? If, if you're a bank or a nation state, fundamentally crypto is incompatible with a nation state, always has been, always will. A currency, which is not the local national currency is always going to be a threat. Once you have 5%, 10%, 50% of your GDP transacting in a in a coin, which is not under your control, then that's a problem for the nation state because that's how they pay people. So ultimately they're not going to want it, but the, the thing is like, are they going to be forced to adopt it anyway? Um, just out of necessity, uh, out of convenience, out of the number of people in their country that's, uh, that, that's using it. Many countries around the world, um, you know, eight figures, number of people that are using crypto uh, quite often uh, every month. So. I think, you know, it, it kind of, it, it might force some people to do stuff. Now, some people have nothing to lose. So if you're a country, um, like I think there's about 20 uh, countries which have kind of like wrapped either the US dollar or the Euro. I think the Saudi Real is one example, the uh, Emirates Dirham, um, the CFA from Africa, the Central African Franc is a wrapped Euro. Um, and there's, there's many other currencies and all of these sort of countries they're, they're at the whim of some other currency called dollar or euro. So they actually have no control over it themselves. So if you're in Senegal or somewhere like that, um, you have no control over your monetary policy. So I think that's kind of what we saw. Um, you know, what, what, what was the, the South American country? I can't remember which, uh, which did it, but you know, that president dude, um, who, uh, who was adopting Bitcoin, cause you got nothing to lose. Um, you know, why not? Why not? You're already using someone else's currency. So you might as well adopt some sort of cryptocurrency. Um, and, uh, and if you're sort of a, a, an economy, which is growing at eight, 10% a year and everyone else is at two or 3%, well, enough countries do that, then it becomes a real thing. And then crypto adoption happens. So I think regulation and these sort of approaches, there'll be countries which have a lot to lose and countries which have a lot to gain from this. And I think those which have a lot to gain, I'm super happy. Uh, about and I, I think that's uh, that's an awesome thing, but unfortunately, that also comes with the downside. Is there are people with vested interests that have a lot to lose uh, if crypto becomes more popular and adopted, and people use it and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to watch. I think at this point, it's inevitable that uh, regulation will come. Uh, so just being able like to. But, but sorry, but like in, in what form? Because people often say regulation will come, like it's already here. You know, Coinbase is regulated in the US. You need 50 licenses for every single state to be an MSB. Um, you know, Europe has various licenses all over the place. China, Hong Kong, Singapore, whatever, they all have licenses. So it's kind of like, it's already here. Um, and then like, what else are people looking for? You know, I, I think one of the best things for people uh, who want like consumer protection and safety is uh, I, people forget how the first country to really say anything about crypto was Japan. 
And how they did it back in the day, this is like 2012 or something like that, um, is they made a, an organization called JADA uh, or JDCA or something like that, Japan Digital Currency Association. And, and it was a an industry-led opt-in um, standard setting sort of organization that just made a bunch of rules and you could comply with it or you couldn't. So it was kind of like you could say, hey, proof of reserves is a requirement to get our tick of approval. And then when the customer looks at two products and they see one which has the tick of approval and, you know, a shiny A plus and one which has nothing, the idea that they had was, hey, uh, people are probably going to opt for this one because it meets all of these different criteria or blah, blah, blah. But if you're a new startup, you know, starting out, you don't have to fork out $10 million to get licenses on day one. You can start without having all of that stuff and then slowly move towards that. And we, we already we already have that around us in the world today. I remember growing up in Australia, there's a thing called um, the Heart Foundation Tick. And it's, uh, it's a foundation, a not-for-profit, that like measures food in accordance with cardiovascular health. And if, if it meets some criteria that they set forth, they put a little logo on the, on the package and say, hey, this meets the Heart Foundation Tick of Approval. So when you're in the supermarket and looking at two products, you opt often people will go, hey, this one looks healthier because it's got the tick on it. Um, so I think that kind of approach to crypto regulation is just way better. Um, so proof of reserves, just having full transparency, having a, a standard rule set there which people can use, but it's opt-in and, and non-restrictive. Um, I think that's just as good, if not better than anything that we already have, because clearly what we have doesn't work already. Yeah. Definitely difficult waters to navigate. And yeah, I, I think ultimately having kind of clear guidelines uh, would be helpful. But may, maybe shifting the conversation a little bit, um, you had this long journey in crypto uh, with many different companies. And ultimately, you arrived at Solana um in a hacker house can you talk about um kind of the early days being learning about solana why you chose solana and then how you got involved in the hacker house um and how that led to creating step finance yeah so i think it was late 2020 when uh, a friend of mine who i've known for a long time we got together and we're like we should go and build something in, uh, in this DeFi world. And one of the things that was missing was just a simple DCA contract. Um, you know, the ability to put in a hundred USDT or something, and then have the contract go and buy you some coin like every week or something like that. Common investment strategy, a lot of people talk about it, but there was no DeFi product which went and did it. So back then there was only really Ethereum. Um, Ethereum was way too expensive. This was when you could pay $500 for in gas fees for stupidity reasons. Um, and so it was unviable, right? If we were to build a contract that was constantly buying, uh, you know, for people, we would lose a lot of money very, very quickly. So Ethereum, unviable. We looked at some L2s. Um, Matic was just getting started and, uh, you know, but they didn't have a lot of the coins which people wanted to buy. So the ability to wrap coins and, and do that kind of stuff was super important because if you want to buy Ethereum, you want to buy Bitcoin, you want to buy, you know, some other coin, Sushi, YFI at the time, they were the hot things. Like you, you needed a, a wrapped coin if it was on another chain. Um, and then in comes Solana, which really started gaining traction at the start of 2021. 
and uh, and they had Alameda, who was market making a lot of wrapped coins uh, on there, and that was great, very cheap, um, you know, very quick. Uh, you could build it quite quite uh, quite easily and and simply. It looked like it had a lot of um, a lot going for it, and also the liquidity was there. So that's initially why we entered the hackathon and and went with Solana was hey, this is just somewhere that has a lot of wrapped coins of which we can build a DCA contract. And, and we, we built that out um, and uh, proved it out. And, and look, it was cool, but we were like, you know what? Actually, what we need is all of these different apps are going to be coming out on Solana soon, and there's nowhere to track them. And it's much better to, to be in a position where you're at a neutral layer for everyone. And uh, and Step was probably one of the, well, it was one of the early um, you know Solana uh, uh, dApps that came out. And I think when we started, there was only Serum and Radium. That was it. And and then, you know, Step was tracking just those. And then all of a sudden there was this explosion um, of all of these different apps. There was literally hundreds launching every couple of months. Um, you know, hundreds of submissions in these hackathons as well. Many yield farms, many different perp things, lenders, whatever, that we had to drop everything and integrate. And, and that was a good position to be in, you know. So uh, Step being that place that, no matter what happens, you still need to know where your money's at. Whether it's a bull market or a bear market, you still need to go to to, to the step dashboard to to see what's up. And um, that was a lot of 2021 for us was just adding a lot of integrations and uh, and and you know trying to keep up essentially. Um, but yeah, Solana was during that growth phase. It was kind of crazy times as well. Um, just being able to to hire enough people and and to to keep things moving. Yeah, I I was heavily involved in the Ethereum Ethereum ecosystem since 2017, but once gas fees started getting extremely high, especially after starting with DeFi summer, and then especially after the explosion of NFTs, I also became disillusioned with Ethereum after paying. Think over a thousand dollars for a Uniswap transfer at one point in time, and started looking elsewhere, and ultimately found Solana. And at first, was extremely skeptical, just because how can this chain be this this fast and this cheap? And then once I really started digging into the de technical details, I w was amazed because you can still have very high degrees of censorship resistance, can still have a uh, large number of full nodes, uh, but have that low latency and very high throughput. Um, and so it, it was an interesting journey and it was cool to, it's awesome to be able to hear kind of how you found it as well. Maybe take a, taking a step back and explaining step finance uh, and like what the core product is and what you would like it to become uh, as you're continuing to build the product and iterating on it here in the bear market now today. Totally. Yeah. So as I mentioned, step started as a portfolio manager dashboard. Essentially that's, that's similar from people from Ethereum land, similar to your Zappa, your Zerion, um, D bank, these kind of things where it's, it's a, a place that you go to, to see where have you staked coins? What are your positions in some decks? Like what's the yields on your 
um, LPs in some AMM, um, you know, yield farm emissions or NFT prices, all this sort of stuff. Instead of having 50 tabs, uh, it's way better to just have one, right? And and that's essentially the core product of Step. So it, it is something really cool, which that's the, the, the core product as the dashboard is kind of like this neutral layer. We integrate with literally everyone uh, in Solana. I'm pretty sure we have about 95% coverage of, uh, of every sort of DAP that's, that's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, it's a lot less in, on the integration side, uh, this year than it was last year because of the bear market, but, um, we're continuing to add a whole bunch of new, uh, different things that come up, whether it's DeFi stuff or NFT stuff. So that's the core sort of how step was, but I think where steps going and, and a realization that we had earlier this year was, um, what are we, what's our, what's our core value, uh, you know, product at the moment, what's our moat? Um, you know, what, what, what do we have that nobody else has? And uh, what we have is all of these integrations with everyone and they're all custom and they're not easy to do. And it requires a lot of back and forth and that's why not many people are doing it. So how do we, how can we actually monetize that and make a viable long-term product that makes revenue and, um, you know, can support itself and is sustainable. And I think all roads lead to data. So that's what it's all about. So for us and uh, what we're all about, and in fact, we're going to be launching in a few days, uh, the new data analytics platform, but it's about um, all of these different integrations we've done. We want to be able to, to expose to people, okay, what's the yields in that particular farm over the last six months? Um, you know, what's that, how many people hold that AMMLP versus another AMMLP? Um, you know, and how would have it performed if you'd held it in either of the currencies? So kind of like, I like to think of, you know, there's a lot of data platforms out there already, right? So you've got Glassnode, Dune, Nansen, all these kind of people. I, I like to break it down into different layers. You've, you've got sort of layer one, I would say, is something uh, like, say, a soul scan, where it's an explorer, and you can see certain information about the chain. You can see that the TPS today is 2000, right? Cool. Useful information. Everyone who's got a node can connect to that and get that information. Then you've got layer two, which is a little bit more complicated, but uh, also very important. So people like Nansen, right? Um, where they are saying, hey, we're monitoring individual wallet addresses. And this wallet address is transacting X million dollars and they're a whale. We're going to tag them as a whale and then you can watch them and see what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. So that's also important um, to, to watch on chain addresses. But what's even more important is maybe, well, more niche, I would say, is, is level three, which is where step fits, which is contract specific information. So it's not just looking at a, at a wallet uh, or an address or something like that. It's like, what is the entire lender program of this, um, you know, uh, lender DeFi protocol doing? So for example, what's the APYs of all the coins? What's the TBLs? What's this and that, and, and putting that all in one place. And, and that could be a perp dex as well. It's like how many people have a, an individual open uh, position right now, either long or short. Um, you know, this kind of data that's on an individual contract basis, nobody really does um, at the moment. You know, there's various attempts at it, um, but I think as a product, it still needs to, to get better. So, so that's where we see the future of STEP. And, uh, and that's what we're really going for. And, and I might also mention that probably a lot of this year has been defined by the rise uh, of NFTs, which haven't really been affected much by this, uh, by this bear market. And we, we grew up in, in DeFi and 
we saw this NFT stuff happening. And even today, I don't really know what the hell's going on with NFTs, but I know that there are people out there that do. So uh, earlier this year, we acquired SolanaFloor.com, um, which the largest NFT data analytics platform and uh, has a lot of great stats on the Solana NFT ecosystem, all the different collections. You can you know, see pricing over time, how many holders, how many listings, whatever, a lot of different stuff on Solana Floor. So they were, we, we acquired them uh, as part of sort of trying to build out Steps repertoire of data because we knew that we weren't the experts on the NFT world, but the crew with uh, Waza over there at uh, Solana Floor, who's now come on board at Step, were. Um, so that's also super important. So a lot of those sort of stats and, and information will be working their way into Step over time as well. Um, but yeah, I think our focus is is data and being, yes, the dashboard will still be a, a core focus and a core product, um, something that, that we focus on. But really, I think for us to make a sustainable um, business case out of this all, it'll be subscription plans, data analysis, and the people, the kind of people that, that will go for that sort of thing, it's going to be like, um, you know, a cheap plan maybe for your retail investor who just wants some sort of information um, you know, maybe on their favorite protocol or whatever. And then there might be a more higher end plan with, you know, more access or whatever it might be for crypto funds, um, you know, investors that maybe want inside alpha to be able to make better decisions, that kind of stuff. Um, so there are sort of two customer types, which I think makes sense for us, but yeah, that's sort of the path that we're going down. Beautiful. Can you talk more about specifically why contracts specific data is so challenging compared to just like on blockchain data. Um, I think that's unique. Yeah. Yeah. So the problem is that a lot of these contracts, they're not open source. If they are uh, available, then they're different SDKs that are uh, made by these different teams, which couldn't be good, but can also be bad. Um, also, there's many different versions of these contracts. So if you don't know the, um, the way to interact with those, those contracts, you can see them on chain as, as something, a transaction happened. But you can't actually decode that data and you can't actually get that without knowing uh, you know, what inputs you can give to the contract to be able to, to get the information back. So in the case of someone like Radium, they have six versions of their AMM, which people probably aren't aware of right? But we've had to integrate six different versions of Radium over time just to support one AMM and product. And, and often it's not clearly defined how all of those different versions work. You know, how do we get a user's balance in an LP? And, uh, and how can we decode that data? So that's why it's, it's a very case by case basis. Now, if there was a more common standard for people to, to build apps on and, and that sort of thing, and Anchor's done a lot in the Solana ecosystem to, to help that, um, but it's not quite there yet. You know, everyone is sort of their own one man army when they're building contracts and, uh, and especially like a lot of the DeFi platforms are not open source for various reasons. Some are, um, but even if they are, you still need these, um, these different, uh, methods in order to, to interact with that contract and also to keep up to date as well. Oh, some random platform updated a V3 or something. Oh, uh, and did they tell us? No, uh, we have to go and, and find out now. So I think these are some of the reasons that it's, it's maybe a little bit harder for people to get there and step being someone that's had to do that anyway for the dashboard product, or at least a lot more across that, um, than, than others. So, so yeah, so I think that's why it's like an important, interesting, cool niche field, 
um, which probably will get easier over time. Uh, but for right now, there, there's certainly a dearth of, of that information. Definitely makes sense. Can you talk, you also mentioned uh, Step Finance is going to be soon launching this analytics platform. Could you go into a little bit more depth about uh, the product launch and uh, what your what product features that you're excited to be launching? Yeah. Yeah, so for the last uh, six months or so, we've been indexing a whole bunch of different things on, on Solana. And uh, what we're looking to launch is like an alpha version of what we currently have of the analytics platform. And, and that will be, as I say, it'll be contract specific. So it will be, you know, show me the liquidity of the liquidity distribution of an Orca LP, um, a Whirlpool, let's say, a concentrated liquidity AMM, something like that. So these kind of sort of niche insights, I think, are, are super interesting and super cool. And we'll be building it out on a sort of contract by contract basis kind of like how we built out the dashboard, right? It's like, oh, we're integrating in some new yield farm today. Okay, well, you know, that's what we got to do. So it, it'll start off in a basic form in an alpha. It'll have some some of the stats which, uh, which we want to launch with. But then over the time, very rapidly, now that we have the, the core infrastructure built out, it's all using uh, Gazer, which is a, a plugin for, for nodes to getting uh, fast information uh, from the chain and indexing that. Um, so yeah, a lot of what we've been doing is, is working with that, building out the, the core infrastructure so that we can add these things way quicker. So if there is like a particular metric, which people want to see, you know, we will have the ability to, you know, not spend the next month or so, uh, you know, building that, but being able to get it out a lot quicker. So, so that's what it'll be. It'll be a subscription plan. Uh, the subscription will be on chain. Some of the other data providers, in fact, I think that'll be a first, you, you can't go and, you know, connect your phantom wallet or something to, to Nansen and then pay the subscription fee. You still need a credit card, which is dumb. What are you doing? Like it's meant to be web three. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing that on chain as well. And, uh, and, and so yeah, people will be able to, to sort of uh, monitor that and, and see how we're doing, but th that's how we want to do things. Right. And, and I, I think we have to, if we want to sort of really be part of the ecosystem, but so analytics, uh, super important. There's also transaction history. We, we've, um, transaction history is something steps done for a long time, but nobody's really done it great including us, we, we, our current V1 has been in its current iteration for like six, seven months. So if you go and you connect your wallet to step right now, you'll see a transaction history of, of your wallet. It'll be missing some protocols. There'll be an update coming soon to add more to that. Um, but we have a lot of people that let's say you're an accounting company or you're a crypto tax company. Um, and they've approached us and they're like, we need data on wallets because people come to us and they're like, Hey, I want to do my crypto tax, please. And here's my Solana wallet. And it, nothing makes sense. What are you going to do? Go to the blockchain. And as I said, you've got this decode problem. You can see that a transaction's taken place and a whole bunch of different things have happened, but you have no idea what they are. And, and there's no real way to sort of correctly pass that information. And, and if you're a, a crypto tax company or an accounting company, you know, you're not going to hire 10, 15 people to just work on one blockchain to figure out what is going on. So they, people like that, you know, want to, uh, want, want to pay for, for good data um, for that. So that's another, um, you know, interesting avenue which we're pursuing as well. Wonderful. No, it's, uh, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think having that on-chain data, being able to parse it and understand and synthesize that information and make use of it is extremely hard. 
and excited that you and the team are uh, tackling this problem. So I would say as you continue, um, and congrats on the launch, um, that's very exciting. Uh, in a couple of years time, uh, with kind of pursuing the dashboard and uh, data analytics standpoint, is there a specific, um, I guess, like what is the end goal of like the data analytics products and uh, the dashboard? Do you want it to be the universal hub? Uh, you can pull all, synthesize that data and be able to understand different contracts, what they're doing. Uh, if, if you could wave a wand, what would that look like? Yeah, we've, ever since we started, we had the tagline and step of the front page of Solana. And that's kind of what we're going for is we want it to be the one page where you go to, to just find out information about stuff. Um, currently on step, we have what's called our opportunities page. Uh, so it shows you a bunch of different opportunities throughout the ecosystem, APYs of yield farms and, and different products here and there. So stuff like that, but I think a, a lot more sort of in depth. So it might be a place of, Hey, there's a yield farm over here for a stable coin at 5%. You click a button and then you can go in and you don't need to open up a million different apps to, to try and do these sorts of things. So that's certainly one pathway, I think, highlighting opportunities. Um, the other is to still be that neutral platform where people find information about their wallet. Um, and then also the, the data analytics side of things as well, I think in a couple of years. See, the thing is, we don't know, like with the NFTs, right? We don't know what the next big thing in crypto is going to be. Some people think it's gaming. Um, it could be some other thing that we have no idea about, right? But whatever it is, if it's taking place on a blockchain, then we will be in a good position to be able to do something there, which I think is pretty cool. Like, you know, if we were just, I don't know, a stable coin company or something, right? The only thing that you care about is a stable coin. And that's what you have to talk about for the next five years. Hey, my stable coin is really good because of X. Um, but I think in step, whatever happens in the market, oh, today it's NFTs, DeFi, it's gaming, it's whatever, we can adapt. Uh, to that. So, so that's what I'm super excited about is just sort of staying on top of what the trends are and, and what people are doing and be able to provide a product which can tell them what's going on on chain. So I think wherever we end up in the next few years, it'll probably be somewhere along those lines. I, I love the focus of being the front page of Solana. Uh, I think it's very memorable and very apropos for the product. That being said, uh, the Solana ecosystem more broadly has had its many uh, ups and downs, extreme kind of meteoric rise uh, in 2021. And then like the broader market in 2022 has had a steep decline and some notable events, especially with FTX um, kind of fallout. H has that changed your point of view as a builder? Uh, or has your confidence in Solana been shaken at all? And if not, why, why has it not? Yeah, well, I think last month we had, we had Breakpoint. It seems like it was a year ago at this point, but uh, we, we had this giant conference, <laughs> yes, which had, yeah, it, it, of which we had like 3,800 builders, I think, that were there across four different venues. Um, so look, I, was, I came away from that thinking, wow, this is, such an awesome uh, thing to see. And also a lot of people that wanted to attend couldn't because, you know, visa issues getting into the EU and stuff. So it's actually way bigger than that uh, in terms of the developer ecosystem and the people building stuff. So that was really energizing to see. So 
And then, of course, we had this FTX blow up. And, and this year in general has been like one of the, well, it, in my memory, it's definitely the worst year for, for things like exploding and blowing up. So if anyone's still alive after this year, like, congratulations, you're doing good. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I, I, I think that Solana itself is really well placed, mainly because of also this focus on, on developers, which other chains are not doing. Like there is not a bunch of hacker houses for Polygon, Nia, you know, Arbitrum, whatever else, BSC, whatever. There's not like 10 hacker houses all over the world and hackathons doing stuff uh, for that. Whereas Solana does. And, and these, these places attract hundreds, uh, if not thousands of, of engineers and developers. And all of these people are building a thing, or at least they're interested in building a thing. And that's the cool part. That's what you want. You want people building stuff and you want people, you know, building an ecosystem as well. And even if number go down in a bear market and, oh, the whole ecosystem, like the numbers wrecked from, you know, where it was a year ago, it's like, yes, but there's also a ton of more people building stuff, which is a great metric to be tracking because yes, number will go up or down, um, you know, for financial reasons of whatever it might be, FTX blowing up and stealing everyone's money, whatever it is. Um, but the number of developers is really the interesting metric, I think, because if you have a lot of people building stuff, the future is going to be good regardless. They're all going to build a thing. That thing's going to have some users somewhere. And some people, like, it's kind of like, as well, if you have 500 people building stuff, all of these projects are probably going to onboard new users themselves that only have just heard about that thing. But then once they come in for project number 493, then they're going to hear about project number 126 as well, because it's very easy to move between stuff in the Web3 world. You just click a button to connect your wallet. So actually, it's kind of like one massive sort of onboarding exercise. The more people that build stuff, um, the more people that bring people in, the more sort of cross-contamination and collaboration that happens uh, between projects. So yeah, I think just more of that. And, and Solana does that better than, than anyone else. Um, Hey, look, I, I, I'm not a, a maxi by any means, but I just think that if you look at the stats and you look at the people that are building stuff and the fundamentals of, hey, are there, are there DEXs? Are there lenders? Are there NFTs? Are there, you know, whatever else, perp stuff? All of that exists on Solana. And you can't say that of, of other chains. Really, Ethereum's the only other one. So that's why I say there's kind of like two games in town right now. There's Solana and Ethereum. Um, and that's kind of just you know, how it is. Right. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. The hackathons have been uh, monumental. And then my point of view is something that many other chains should copy. Uh, I think Ethereum was the first, uh, to start doing these hackathons, but in my experience, personally, the Solana hackathons are much more professional in the sense that labs or the foundation does host them. And to me, that is lovely because it really brings that sense of um, community and kind of professionalism to everybody that shows up to these events. And I think Breakpoint this past year, or not, not past year, but uh, past month or two, uh, really highlighted that with um, thousands of people showing up and the energy was electric. I think it, in semi semi comical sense, the day after, uh, was the FTX explosion, but that event and more broadly, the builders, the energy, 
um, the developers uh, was quite electric. And so I, I would definitely echo your sentiments. I think today, um, people and teams and developers have kind of this exploration for trying other chains, um, specifically layer twos on Ethereum or SWE or Aptos. What is kind of Step Finance's point of view? I know you mentioned briefly on L2s uh, earlier, um, but what, what is your point of view around layer twos uh, and these other ecosystems that are developing uh, outside of Solana? Yeah, so I think a lot of apps sort of have this grass is always greener kind of mentality where they hit a wall in a bear market and it's like, oh, our TVL is down for our app, which is, I don't know, a yield aggregator or something. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to sit here for the next six months, a year, and try and like onboard the few people that probably already know about us. Or, hey, there's like a thousand people over there. Maybe we go and build a thing over there. It's, it's sort of a, it's a tasty idea, but it never works out and it's never real. So a lot of the apps that are cross chain, they, they don't pollinate these users across to, you know, using their app. Like you look at someone like Aave, Aave still has the vast majority of their TBL on Ethereum. Um, and yes, they integrate with, I don't know, like six different chains or something crazy now. Um, but th there isn't this sort of idea that, oh, uh, if I go and build my app over there, I'll go and get another 10,000 people using my app. Um, it would be great if that was the case, but often those chains are, are worse off than, than everyone else anyway. So that's why I say there's only really two games in town right now. On the case of L2s, um, my, my problem with L2s is that they silo liquidity and compared with Solana, it's just not something which can really scale. So for example, if I'm on Arbitrum, I'm on Arbitrum and I can't do a, a transaction that's composable to Ethereum L1 because I need to cross the bridge and I, I can't do that, right? So it might as well just be another chain. It might as well just be another coin uh, in general, right? Because the cool thing about Solana is all of these perps, these, you know, DEXs, these AMMs, these yield farms, they're all addressable on the single layer. So you can construct a transaction which does this over here, takes it over here, does that over here, and then executes. You can do that um, and you can address everything on the same layer. Whereas in L2, you can only do stuff on, on that one layer. So it's kind of, it, I treat it like another coin because that's kind of also, I think, how our users, um, you know, look at it as well. Like, I, I don't know if, if you've sort of uh, introduced people to, to these L2s I did back in the day. And it was just, a, it was really hard as well. It's like, oh, you want to get on Arbitrum or Optimism? Okay, what you got to do is, First, you got to go and buy some some coins, like some Ethereum from a centralized exchange, right? Get that to your Ethereum wallet. Then you have to cross the bridge, by the way. But you can't like send your USDC across the bridge because you need more coins on the other side to pay the gas fees to then get the native coin so that you can actually try. It, it's just so like convoluted. And you're never going to onboard a billion users in the crypto world if, if that's the customer acquisition strategy. It's much easier to just say, hey, you want Binance chain? You need Binance coin. Done right? Or you want Solana chain, you need Solana coin, done. And and that's it, right? So, but the whole sort of concept of L2s, and also L2s are, they're sort of a, an interim step, you know, as Vitalik have said, it before sharding comes live, 
L2s are sort of the best that Ethereum can do to scale. So when sharding goes live, what happens to L2s? Sort of they, I guess they disappear in, in that case. Like a lot of apps, the idea is that they would live on other shards and, and this could be years away in Ethereum land, but I think we already have one fast addressable layer in Solana and not many chains can say that. And there's also a critical mass as well. A lot of chains are fast. A lot of chains will tell you how many billion transactions per second they do. But if there's three users, nobody cares. Whereas Solana has, uh, you know, billions of TBL and, and different people doing stuff and all of these different apps, hundreds of different apps. So that's why I would say that like L2s, I just don't think is such a viable sort of strategy at the moment. Um, cool, I guess, like, you know, it's good for Ethereum people that they can transact cheaper, but again, there's not really that many apps on, on either of them. They're kind of like their own chain ecosystems anyway, and their own sort of coin. Um, why not just use one chain, which does everything in the first place? Yeah, I, I, I could speak about layer twos a long time as well. Um, I, I agree with a lot of your sentiments. I, I think the biggest thing is that siloed liquidity and kind of just ultimately increasing the amount of friction that the user has to understand uh, with bridging, uh, with um, application developers also having a harder time uh, being able to compose applications uh, going from an L2 to L2. So uh, definitely all, all valid concerns that I would echo. Uh, any specific thoughts on uh, kind of these newer chains that are emerging in the ecosystem that are much more similar to Solana than say like um, chains in the past that were more different variations of Ethereum uh, with the Ethereum virtual machine. Now we have um, two additional chains that are trying to um, also have high throughput and do that on a single shard uh, being Aptos and Sui. Um, any comments around those? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any interest, to be honest. And the reason for that is there's no critical mass currently. So <clears throat> what is there to look at? Um, you know, are there a million different NFT marketplaces? No. Are there all of these different DEXs? Yes, it's early days. I get it. But also early days in a bear market, it's very hard to scale these things, right? So it may be years before these kind of things have some sort of critical mass. Solana was lucky that it was a raging bull market and, you know, Alameda was on board and market making and there was liquidity there and right time, right place, a lot of that kind of stuff going for it. Um, and that, that, that certainly helps. Um, but in the depths of a bear market, starting a new chain that also, you know, when Solana started, there wasn't like it was, it was unique in that there wasn't a fast place to transact. There literally wasn't like that had DEXs and had central limit order books and had all of this other kind of stuff. There were attempts at it elsewhere, but nowhere had any liquidity or anything. So it was literally a unique value proposition. Now, <clears throat> when I look at some of these other chains that are like, hey, we're like Solana, but different. It's like, okay, like what's the unique value proposition here? Um, that you're faster than fast? Okay, like it's not amazing. It's not blowing my mind. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. we'll see how they go. I wish all people the best in, in building out whatever they want to on crypto, wherever they want to. But, you know, it sort of also depends on critical mass. We're not going to look at these kind of things at, at step until there's actually something there to look at. 
And I think it's much better as well. Like our focus generally has been be the best at one thing rather than mediocre at 10. That's a sort of another sort of strategy, which I think is really important. There's a lot of portfolio manager dashboards out there, um, but a lot of them, you know, they will show you 60% or 70% of your portfolio. You might as well show 0% if that's the case, because if I'm going there to find out how much money I've got and you know, you're, you're showing me a number, which is completely incorrect. I mean, who cares? Like it, if it's a little bit more correct than the not, like it's still wrong. So it doesn't matter. Right. And so for us, I think it's much better that we just focus at being the best on Solana and um, we'll see where, where the cookie crumbles like a couple of years from now, but yeah, that critical mass uh, is going to be really hard to build. And um, also it needs a unique value proposition, something that's not just, Hey, we're all so fast. Cool. A lot of people are. Yeah, definitely makes sense. I I like the ethos of creating the best product and trying to um, really stand head and shoulders above everybody else instead of uh, doing uh, everything semi mediocre. Um, no, it's exciting. Exciting for that you have a upcoming product launch with the analytics dashboard. Excited what you have built thus far with step finance um, and uh, think it's appreciate what you've done for the ecosystem, especially getting involved early um, and yeah, your words of wisdom and all your spicy takes, I guess, closing uh, the podcast, any specific things that you're looking forward to either from the step finance front um, or more broadly, uh, the crypto ecosystem that you're excited for in 2023? Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I, people often say, what do you think's coming up for crypto? What's the next big thing? I don't know what the next big thing is. Uh, I wish I did, but, and also it, I think the next big thing is going to be something that we don't see. It's a lot of people, oh, it's going to be gaming or something. That'd be cool, but a lot of people expect it. So it might also not be that. So. I think I'm just mm -hmm. most excited about building out the vision for, for step and, and, uh, having a lot of that data on chain and, and making it accessible. But also I think one thing which, uh, I was really interested to see a trend recently was all these different individual projects, like running their own node and getting their communities to stake on that node. I think that's something which, which catches on. I think we're probably going to do that soon, you know, run a validator and then everyone in the step community can also stake on that validator. I think that'd be cool. I mean, what's, what's not to love? Like it increases decentralization. It gets the community involved. Um, you know, it, it's all good. So as far as I'm concerned, I think the more apps, which do those sorts of things, uh, the better, uh, and I guess you call that common good or, you know, beneficial to the chain in general. Uh, but I also think that a lot more apps are going to be more collaborative because in, in a market like this, it's very difficult to onboard a thousand new users tomorrow. So it's much easier to have a look at people that are already vetted. So, Hey, you know, protocol X, you're also on Solana doing stuff. Do you want to do something with step? You know, we can do some sort of AMA community thing, whatever, um, maybe some integration or something like that. I think those things make sense because the users of that community and the users of this community, they already have a wallet. They're already using it. They're already vetted. Uh, it's much more likely to, uh, to appeal to them. So I think more of that cross ecosystem collaboration is going to be important. Um, and yeah, you know, what form that takes, I don't know. So yeah, data, 
uh, nodes, dApps doing their own sort of staking on nodes and uh, more collaborations with the rest of the ecosystem. I think that's where we're at. Perfect. Well, we'll end it on that. Uh, thank you so much, George. Really appreciate your time. And again, uh, thank you for being such a core contributor and building out SEP Finance. Uh, super excited to watch you and your team continue to execute and uh, start building out that analytics product. So uh, thank you once again, and I uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Logan. It's been a pleasure. Perfect. Boom. <laughs>